Well, this morning on this day, we um, get to be joined by Sabrina Willett. Uh, Sabrina is Sabrina is the uh, resident director here on campus at Hartle, and uh, yeah, let's hear it for Hartle again. I like that. I like that. <laughs> in the house today. Um, also, prior to Sabrina's time here at Northwestern, she has served in youth ministry, uh, most recently at First Baptist in Cambridge. Um, so we're excited to have you here, Sabrina. Would you help me welcome to the stage, uh, Sabrina Willette. Awesome. Thank you guys so much for having me today. Um, thank you, Darren, for having me. I'm going to move that or I will kick it over for sure. Um, so I want to start by saying, as I was thinking and praying about what to t uh, speak about this morning, um, there were a lot of different things that came to mind, but there were two topics that really stood out to me. And both of them I could spend days talking about, and I don't have days to talk with you, so we're going to rapid fire through some stuff. Um, and really, my goal up here is not to teach you anything new, but I'm just going to kind of shoot questions at you, and I want you guys to think and reflect on and sit with those questions if there's anything specific that is resonating with you. Um, so yeah, my goal is not to teach you something new, but to have you wrestle through some things that may be going on in your life. Um, and I really spent a lot of time asking the question and talking to students of what do I want UNW students to know? What do I want them to hear? But most deeply, what do I want Northwestern students to genuinely believe? And that led me to these two topics. So <laughs> happy lighthearted Wednesday. We are going to talk about sin and shame and doubts and regrets, or not regrets, doubts and questions. So those are the two things we're gonna talk about this morning. We're gonna start with sin and shame, and I want to start here by sharing a story with all of you. When I was in youth ministry, I would always start by sharing an embarrassing story for several reasons that I won't get into, but I'm gonna share a story with you this morning to get us started. This is my dorm room here at Northwestern. I was an RA here um, when I was a student here. Um, and I want you to notice two things about this picture. First is how high my bed is lofted. Eventually, I actually lofted it higher, all the way like up, um, so that I could fit my hammock underneath it, which if you want tips on how to do that, I can show you, but as the story goes on, you might not want to try that. Um, and then the red couch, notice the red couch as well. So this was my dorm room, bed all the way lofted up to the point where like I could not sit up in bed uh, because I would hit my head on the ceiling. And I'm not a tall person. Um, so every time I would climb into or out of bed, the entire bed would like shake. It was like a death trap. I was like, every morning and every night, I was like, is this the time that I die? Because I, I don't know if I put it together or if it was just really janky, but it, it was not a good situation. Worst part of my day was getting in and out of bed. So one morning I woke up and I was the only one in my dorm room. My roommate was at class or something. And I thought, you know, I really don't want to climb out of bed because it's not sturdy. So the better option in my head, other than unlofting my bed, was to try to just jump to the couch. I was like, that's not that far. I can make it. And I wanted, my goal was to leave as little room for error as possible. So I thought I will aim for the tallest part of the couch, which is the arm of the couch. So this was my game plan. I was going to sit in bed, dangle my feet, over the bed, trying to line them up with the arm of the couch, and then a little, little bit of space, I was like, yeah, we can make this. But like I said, I was not 
my bed was lofted so high I could not sit up in bed. So here's what I did. I sat on the edge of my bed, dangled my feet over, looked over, made sure my feet were lined up with the arm of the couch, and I leaned back and I, I double checked a couple times, and then I leaned back and pushed myself off of my bed, aiming for the arm of the couch. And I missed. <laughs> Probably not shocking, but I didn't go straight to the ground. That's where I ended up. I didn't go straight to the ground. I had overshot and I landed on the couch cushion, which in theory is a better option, but not what I was aimed for. And because I was leaning backwards, all of my momentum was backwards. So I landed on the seat of the couch. <laughs> I go backwards over the arm of the couch. So if you're a visual learner, this is gonna be like your sweet spot. If not, the story's not gonna be as funny to you. But my feet were up in the air, my head was on the ground, and I was just reaching and scrambling, trying to grab anything that would pull me back up, pull me out of this fall that I had accidentally kind of found myself in. Didn't work, I ended up on the ground, like I said, and I was laying on the ground just mortified. I was like, that is the most embarrassing thing in my life. I am so glad that my roommate is not here. And then I realized my window was wide open and I am on first floor of Hartle. So I pop up immediately. Thankfully, nobody was standing out there. Nobody that I know had seen it. Um, and so I could have kept this story to myself. Nobody knew that it had happened. Obviously, I'm standing here telling you today, so I have not kept it to myself because one of my biggest character flaws is I cannot keep funny, embarrassing things to myself. Um, and so I immediately went to chapel and I was like, you guys will never guess what happened to me this morning. So that is my story for you this morning. And what we're gonna do is I want you to, if we look at each stage of that story, as a way that we respond to sin, I want you to think about where do you find yourself in that story? So here are some examples. One, are you at the point where you are taking the easy way out? You are, you are just avoiding the thing that is causing you sin, which, yes, <laughs> avoid sin, avoid temptation, but a much simpler option for me would have been to de-loft my bed, but that was a lot of work, that would have taken a lot of time, so instead I was just going to avoid the problem. And that is not what we are called to do as Christians, we are called to turn our hearts over to God and let him change our hearts, not so that we avoid the thing that's tempting us, but so that we genuinely desire God above that thing that's tempting us. So, are you taking the easy way out and just avoiding the thing that is causing you sin, rather than seeking genuine healing from that sin? Are you at the point in the story where you are upside down and just scrambling and reaching, trying to grab something that will pull you back up? Are you at a point of sin in your life, whether it is a sinful habit and lifestyle or um, a specific thing that is, is gripping you? But are you, do you find yourself falling and just reaching and grasping for something that will pull you back up? Because if that's where you are, students, make sure you know what you are reaching for. Okay, when I, when I was reaching and scrambling, I had no game plan. I was just like, I'm gonna try to find something miraculously, and that's not gonna work. So know what you are reaching for, know what you are searching for to pull you out of that sin cycle. Do you find yourself where you are like, man, I hope nobody saw what just happened. I hope nobody ever finds out. Like, as long as I can keep this thing hidden, I might be okay. Um, or, 
are you at the part in the story where you are just laughing it off? And this is one that I want to spend a little bit of time on because I think this is how we react to so much sin. Because for some reason, we as Christians have deemed some sins as the worst thing a person could possibly do and some sins as reasons to laugh. Things that we laugh off either because we've made it acceptable in our life or because talking about it and saying like, no, this is actually a problem might feel a little too real. If you're anything like me, one of the, the areas that I'm guilty of is laughing off my lack of self-discipline. I'm like, I have none of that. And I just kind of laugh about it. And I think a lot of us do that. We're like, I have no self-discipline. I have no self-control. But if we look in scripture, 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So if you have placed your faith in Christ, you have received the Holy Spirit, and therefore you do have self-discipline, and you cannot, we cannot, I'm 100% included in this, we can't just laugh off the fact that we don't have self-discipline because we do. And so choosing to not live a life of discipline is choosing to go against what the Spirit has given us. Gossip, that is another huge one that we laugh off or that we indulge in and we have made it okay in our society. And again, I am so guilty of this myself, but we've made gossip something that feels okay to do. And there are so many verses about gossip. You've heard a lot of them. This one was kind of newer to me, and I want to share it with you. 2 Timothy 2.16. And not brand new, but it's not one I think of when I think of God um, speaking against gossip. It says, avoid godless chatter, because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. So are there sins in your life that you are just laughing off because it's easier than actually addressing them? So if we look at the story as a demonstration for how we address sin in our lives differently, where do you find yourself? The next thing that I want to say about sin and shame is that, or I guess question I want to ask is, what sins have you deemed too far for redemption, either in yourself or in other people? Are there sins in your life that you have said like, there, I, I have gone too far. I am in too deep. There is no way that God will love me. There is no way that God will accept or desire me. There is no way that God will forgive me. Are there those sins in your life? Because students, that's not true. That's not a thing. There is no such thing as a sin that is too far for God's redemption. Or are there sins in other people's lives that you have deemed too far for God's redemption? You see somebody doing something or acting a certain way or living a certain life where you're like, God can never reach them. And I'm guilty of this myself as well. There are people in my life that I'm like, yeah, they are not saved. And yeah, I could pray for them. But really, what difference would that make? Because there's no way that God is actually going to change their heart. So are there sins that you have deemed too far for redemption in yourself or in other people? And for that, we are going to look for, at John 3, 17 to 18. So this is the follow-up to one of the most popular verses in the world, um, and sadly one that I think a lot of us don't know um, well. John 3, 17 to 18 says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. So if you are in Christ, if you have placed your faith in Christ, if you are living with him as your savior, 
You, you cannot be condemned for the sins that you commit because Christ has already been condemned for those sins. He has already paid for those sins. So there's no such thing as a sin that is too far for God to redeem if you have placed your faith in Christ. And for those that haven't, they don't need our condemnation because God already has condemned them. They already stand condemned if they are not living into their faith in Christ. So yes, there's something to be said about naming and identifying sin, but we already know and hopefully they already know that they are in a life of sin. And then we look and we see the prodigal son and the father embracing him when he returns after indulging a life of sin. So again, I ask you, what sins have you deemed too far for the redemption of yourself or the redemption of others? What are they? Why have you done that? And where do you see support for that in scripture? Next, we're going to look at shame because sin and shame unfortunately, so often go together. So often we see sin and shame together in our own lives. And students, first of all, let me say, there is a difference, and if hopefully you've heard this. If you have not heard this yet, I am so sorry that it took you until college for somebody to say this to you. There is a difference between shame and guilt or condemnation. Shame is one thing. Guilt, guilt says, that thing that I did is bad. And guilt is good because it helps us identify the sin in our life. It helps us identify where we are not following and honoring Christ. Shame, on the other hand, says, I am bad because of the thing that I did or because of the things that I've done. And that places an identity on you that is not yours to carry. Shame never comes from the Lord. And for this, we're going to look into Genesis, if we look at chapters 2 and 3. So Genesis chapter 2, very, very end of chapter 2, verse 25, is when we see um, Adam and Eve together. And it says, Adam and Eve were naked, and they felt no shame. Okay? So that is right after the creation of man and woman. They were together, they were naked, and they felt no shame. And scripture is very clear that there was no shame in the world at that point. And then Genesis 3 comes. And we see the serpent deceive Eve, and we see Adam and Eve fall into sin. And in Genesis 3, we see that their eyes were opened, and they noticed their nakedness, so they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. That is the first time in Scripture that we see shame, is immediately after the fall, they were ashamed of their nakedness. And then God comes on the scene. And Adam and Eve hide from God, which is such a silly thing to do because that's not real. Um, So Adam and Eve hide from God, and God says, why did you hide from me? And Adam says, well, because we were naked. And God says, how did you know you were naked? You must have eaten from the tree. And so God um, does all of the things that he does to say, you messed up, now there's sin in the world, and here are the stipulations that you're going to have to live with because of that sin. But then God does such an incredibly beautiful thing. And he makes skin coverings for them. He makes clothes for Adam and Eve. And this is why we can say that shame does not come from God, is because God did not find joy. He did not revel in the fact that Adam and Eve felt shame. He could have said, you made the mistake, now you're going to live with your nakedness and be ashamed forever. He could have said, good luck, you're going to have to sew new fig leaves together every day because I can't imagine they're super durable. But instead, 
God makes skin coverings for them, something that will last, something so that they do not have to live in their shame every single day. And so sin and shame so often go together, but shame is actually a lie from the enemy that keeps us from pursuing our relationship with Christ. So that's what I have to say about sin and shame. Now, real quick, we're going to move on to doubts and questions. And I thought, like, I don't have a lot to say about doubts and questions. I really just want to acknowledge the fact that they're there. And then I started typing up notes, and I had five pages of notes on doubts and questions. So I don't have time to go through five pages of notes because I've got about nine minutes left. So let me say, I don't know if I said this at the top. I meant to, but sometimes I get, I don't know what happens in my brain, but I forget to say things. So... I work here on campus. My office is in um, the stud first floor hartle right off the nest. My email is on the rock. I would be more than happy, like genuinely it would make my heart so happy to meet with any of you that have questions, that want to talk about any of the things I've talked about today or anything else. I really, really love people. I would much rather spend my whole day in meetings than sit in my office by myself. So please reach out if you want to talk about any of this more. That being said, doubts and questions. Like I said, first, I just want to acknowledge the fact that they're there. They exist, they're real, they're not contagious. So often we're like, oh, I can't tell people that I'm struggling with this thing because of how they might see me or because what if I bring up this question and they're like, oh yeah, I've never thought about that either. And now we're both questioning our faith. That nine times out of 10, that does not happen. So first, just want to acknowledge that doubts and questions are there. And let's, let's stop pretending like they're not students because I have seen so many students graduate from Northwestern and then walk away from their faith. And I don't, want to, I don't want to say that this is specifically the reason. I don't know for sure what the reason is, but my speculation is that those students were wrestling with their doubts and questions while they were students here at Northwestern, but they never felt like it was a safe space to acknowledge them and to ask those questions. So all of that being said, one question that I want to ask you, if you are in that space, if you are somebody that is wrestling with doubts and questions, first, I want you to identify the root of those doubts and questions. And whatever it is, is genuinely okay. There are times that I've had doubts and questions, and as I wrestled through them, it has made my faith and my relationship with God so much stronger. So do not be afraid of your doubts and questions. Lean into them and wrestle through them, but identify what the core of them is. Are you questioning God? Are you questioning scripture? Are you questioning um, the life of Christ? Are you wrestling through doubts and questions because of other Christians or because of the way the church has acted or addressed specific issues? And that's something that I see so much today. And there are two things that I wanna say real quick about that. First, I want to acknowledge that Christians and the church, the body of Christ, has made a lot of mistakes. And they have done things that have caused incredible, intense harm to so many people. And I do not want to shy away from that fact. And I am not in any way attempting to diminish, invalidate, condone, or excuse those actions. And if you are somebody that has been hurt by fellow believers or been hurt by the church, please know that I am so genuinely sorry for that. And my heart breaks with and for you. And... I beg of you, do not write off the love, compassion, and desire that God has for you because of a person or a people misrepresenting God. 
Do not write God off because of the behavior of sinful people. If that is the root of your doubts and questions, it's okay, but know that they are misrepresenting God in that. The next thing that I want to talk about is think about yourself. If you are not a person that is currently struggling with doubts and questions, I promise you, and this is not a fun promise to make, but I promise you, they will come. Maybe you've wrestled through them and you've come out on the other side. That's awesome. Maybe you're in the midst of your questions right now. Maybe they will come in the future. And there are people around you right now in this room that are wrestling with doubts and questions. So now I want to take a minute and talk to those who maybe are not in the midst of doubts and questions. And I want to ask you, are you somebody that is a safe person for those that are struggling? And just two, two, three, I don't know, two, kind of, um, two things that I want to say to you to make sure that you are a safe person to come to with doubts and questions, because doubts and questions are not resolved on your own. And so if people are not coming to you then I'm not saying that you are not a safe person, but make sure that you are a safe person to wrestle through those things. And a couple things for that is to be a safe person for doubts and questions, you need to be patient and you need to be gentle and you need to walk alongside somebody. As I was thinking about this, the analogy that I, that I pictured in my brain, I'm a visual learner, so I picture things. I pictured two kind of options. One is like somebody taking a couple steps in their faith and then somebody is like, you're doing great, like you're awesome, and then you start to go this way a little bit. I ran out of stage, but you get the point. And, and that person's like, oh, I don't know if that's the right direction. And so they'll maybe go with you a little bit and gently redirect you if you're getting too far off the path. Or you have somebody that just like roundhouse kicks you back into the Christian camp and you're like, get over there, that's where you belong. And like, that might be effective for a little while, but they're not gonna wanna stay there. So. Be gentle, be patient. Do not be roundhouse kicking people back into the Christian camp. Um, and, and this might ruffle some feathers and I acknowledge that and that's okay and I can elaborate a little bit more if you're like, I think that's a horrible thing to say. If there is somebody that's wrestling with doubts and questions and you are walking alongside them, you should absolutely be searching scripture for help and guidance and answers And sometimes the Bible is not going to be the best place to start. And here's what I mean by that. When I was a kid, I was a horrible speller. And by was, I mean I absolutely still am. I can't spell a thing. I got a D in sixth grade English because I failed spelling tests. Can't spell. When I was a kid, I would say to my mom or to my teachers, how do you spell this word? And they would say, look it up in the dictionary. And I was like, how the heck am I supposed to look this up in the dictionary if I don't know how to spell it? And so if you have friends that are wrestling with doubts and questions, and one of the questions they have is, I don't know if the Bible is real, it's not going to be helpful to say, well, the Bible says it's real, so <laughs> there you go. Like, that's not, that's not going to work. And so eventually we want to guide them to Scripture, but sometimes that cannot be the starting place. And that's okay. You should still be in the Word. You should still be seeking God's guidance. You should still be using biblical principles and biblical truths but pointing them right back to the Bible is not always going to be the first step. Second thing I want to say is check on your friends. And I am so guilty of this. I hesitate to ask people, how are you doing in your walk with the Lord? Because I'm so afraid that that will come across as like a holier than thou. We're like, I'm doing so good. How are you doing? I don't know where the Southern accent came from. I'm from 40 minutes north of the Twin Cities. Just roll with it. Um, <laughs> 
So check on your friends, ask them how they're doing. And you can acknowledge, like, this is not me trying to shame or guilt you. I just genuinely want to know how you're doing in your relationship with the Lord and leave space for them to address those questions. The, the, the last thing that I will say about doubts and questions, as I was thinking about this, I had two like memes or videos in my head about how we can handle doubts and questions. And if you guys remember, early, I think it was earlier this year, there was a very, very popular video that came out um, that was a little kid at a state fair eating corn on the cob. And he was like, this is the most, be- or, I can't imagine a more beautiful thing. That's what he says. And so there's that video, so keep that in your mind. And then we also have the video that came out several years ago, that's a little kid at Christmas, and he unwraps an avocado. And if you watch the video, he's so cute, and he's so excited about it, but the way he says it, he's like, it's an avocado, thanks. And it's hilarious. And so we don't have to embrace doubts and questions like the corn on the cob kid, like we don't have to be like, this is the best thing ever. But we should acknowledge that doubts and questions, when we lean into and embrace them, most of the time, if we wrestle through those with a community of believers, we will see a stronger relationship with Christ on the other side and more confidence in our faith in him. So let me leave you with these final thoughts. You are not alone. No one has it all together. We pretend we do, and I promise we don't. And know that we are here with you. We are here for you. God is here with you and for you. And students, with that, you are dismissed. Thank you so much for being here today.